Hit the button twice. Episode 132, take two. Yep. We uh, started recording on that yes. and then didn't re-hit record on this twice. Right. My headphones are still messed up. It's really weird. I'll figure it out later. Over? I did change them over. Hmm. Thankfully, we were only like three minutes in, so yeah. we didn't miss much. I'm only so listening to myself in uh, weird stereo. Weird stereo? Yeah. So not stereo? Yep. Okay. So we can repeat that first three minutes and nobody will ever even know. Nope. Except for the people it's that not listen. lost to history, though, because it's on tape. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get rid of that, though. All right. Uh, so, welcome to episode 132 of Auto Off Topic. Take two. Uh, what's up, Brad? Not too much, Andrew. What's going on with you? Not much. After we did last week's episode, the next night we went over to the Lars Anderson, mm-hmm. which is our favorite local automotive museum. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... The closest and the best. Yep. And um, they've been doing a lot of talks. Excuse me. Like, after... like, like automotive TED Talks. Yeah. <laughs> um, we went to one. We talked about it on Hot Rods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Race of Gentlemen. Yep. And uh, the one they did uh, the other week was, uh, you've probably heard of them. If you're watching it on YouTube, you've seen Rich Rebuilds. Yep. Uh, he Tesla re- Rebuilder. Yes. He rebuilds salvage Teslas. And he started one that was in a flood, and then he rebuilt it uh, because he didn't want to pay full price for a new Tesla. So he had a friend that worked for Tesla early on, I guess, yep. and he got to drive an early Tesla, and he kind of caught the bug of how fast they were and how fun they were. Um, but then he realized that he didn't want to spend a hundred and some odd thousand dollars on one, so he started looking for wrecked ones. And then he quickly realized that wrecked ones were forty or fifty thousand dollars. Until he whittled it down to this $14,000 flood car, which is obviously a serious decision to buy a flooded electric car from a saltwater flood. Yeah, really. I mean, that's a, that's a bold move. But, yeah, he was into it for fourteen grand, so he had to do something with it because he didn't want to throw away fourteen grand. Yep. Uh, and nobody had really done this at the time. Get to the point where, if I guess what we learned from the thing was if... Your Tesla VIN number is attached to a salvage title. Tesla won't sell you anything for it. Yeah, so it really comes down to the whole uh, right to repair. And, you know, you should... We both strongly feel that you should be able to... If you own a vehicle, you should be able to repair yourself. Oh, of course. You should not be beholden to a company or a single repair shop. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it seems very un-American or very, like... Well, especially like, for a vehicle like Tesla, it doesn't even have that many repair shops. Exactly. They have less repair shops than they have than there are states in this country. Yeah. So there are places where if your Tesla breaks, you have to ship it to a repair facility yeah. and wait weeks to months to get it repaired. And uh, the other thing, um, what about body repairs? Like, don't you have to go to Tesla? You have to go to a Tesla-approved body shop. Yeah. Which, without naming names, um, we have had Teslas in our shop. That have gone to a Tesla approved body shop. Yeah. That we re repaired. Yeah. Because they won't sell us parts because we're not an approved vendor. But their approved vendor isn't great. <laughs> um, and we had a Tesla that we had to reline up the doors on that had two doors replaced. Is that on. car aluminum? I think the whole car's aluminum, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We didn't do any body repairs or anything like that. We just. We took the doors back apart and realigned the hinges. And actually, we had to do a little bit of a little movement on the pillar to make the doors line up. So if you're, uh, if you've got an aluminum vehicle, say like an Audi A8, mm-hmm. 
Do you have to be certified for aluminum work? Um, it's sticky. Um, for Audi, Jaguar, Range Rover, etc., to sell me parts, I need to be to sell me a welded on part of the car. I need to be an aluminum repair facility certified by them. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll sell me any bolt on parts I need. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. So if we can repair the panel, it's not a big deal. We'll just repair it. But if mm-hmm. it needs to replace a panel, it needs to go to a certified shop for them. And honestly, with the amount of litigiousness in this country, yeah, is that a word? Litigiousness. Yeah. Okay. I think so oh, with, with I'll the, give it to you. Yeah. Well, anyway, with with the Sue happy people in this country, um, uh, Brad didn't say the word right. Yeah. And the amount of liability that's involved with repairing cars. Yeah. I don't even mind as much because there aren't that many all aluminum cars. No. Um, and I mean, there was a recent case where a standard sheet metal car was repaired by a body shop. Yeah. And then it was involved in a serious accident again afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the body shop lost in court like yeah. $32 million or some huge settlement. What? It was a huge body shop, big chain body oh, shop. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but they had a, it was a Honda Fit that was repaired. They replaced a roof skin. Um, and they had not welded it in all the exact same places. Right. So when the car got an accident again, it collapsed beyond the normal structure of the car. Um, and the gas tank ruptured and burst the car into flames and the people were trapped inside because the doors were jammed shut. Oh. And they got burnt up real bad, which is obviously terrible. Um, but the body shop wound up being held liable because they didn't follow Honda's repair procedures for replacing a roof skin. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's very, I mean, it's serious business. The car yeah. is engineered to crash. So when one has been altered and crashes and that altered structure is altered, then you Yeah, they issues. can't be, um, yeah, they can't guarantee it really anymore. They can if you follow the proper procedures. Every car has a proper repair procedure. Every right, car right. has a welded on panel. You go to the manufacturer and you can get exactly where to weld, where to glue, because they do use glue now in a lot of panels as well. Mm-hmm. But you have to follow all of the factory specs so that if something, God forbid, that happens again, the car gets wrecked again, A, the car will behave properly in the accident, and if it doesn't, at least you're covered because you did it right. Speaking of those factory specs, the right to repair stuff is that the in Massachusetts we have a law. Some other states are different. Correct. Um, so that's part of it is that manufacturers have to provide that repair information mm-hmm. to Joe Schmo. Just manufacturers have to provide the same information they provide to their dealer to any mechanic or backyard mechanic that yeah. wants to work on their car. Yeah. But that's what he was actually talking about at the Ridge Rebuild stock mm-hmm. was that the way Tesla gets around that. They don't have a dealer network. They don't have a dealer network. Yeah. So they don't have to provide anybody with anything because they don't provide dealers with anything. Because they don't have dealers. Now, what's interesting is that I remember working at Mitsubishi, you could order a Mutt 3 tool. Yep. Because we had to provide it to whoever would want it. Okay. But it would be like five grand. Which is reasonable considered it's compared a, to most of them. It's a, like an entire laptop that yeah. they send you. At, yeah, it's a very specialized computer just for fixing Mitsubishi electrical problems. Well, it was a Panasonic Toughbook with software on it. All right, so it's a very specialized Which program. Which is what most of them are. <laughs> yeah. They're whatever manufacturer-specific software program, and then they just throw it on a, a tough book. Yep. Because I think they still make those. I but because those of the Right to Repair Act, that's why you can buy a snap-on scan tool now that can do a lot of the same functions. Mm-hmm. Because they're given the 
you know, the code, mm-hmm. I guess, to, to the factory computers. Yeah. Oh, they have backtracking or something. Oh, but. I'm forgetting. It's J something pass through is like the, I don't know. It's like some, the code, how the computers. I know, I know the basics through. of how to use the tool, mm-hmm. but I don't know much about the. It's like J396 or something. Yeah, I don't know numbers or anything like that. Uh, it's just like the the code, but anyway, we uh, wind up using them all the time at work when repairing cars because after you've replaced airbags and stuff, you have to reset the system. Mm-hmm. So it's like the Snap-on reader will do all, all that on most cars, not all cars. Some yeah. cars have to be reset at the dealer, just because we don't have the codes available yet. Some newer cars, mm-hmm. a lot the very of cars, newest ones. Oh, a lot of cars with like uh, distant sensors, um, you know, smart auto- automatic parking, smart um, the mirrors. The, the cameras, some of the camera mirrors and cameras, some of the blind spot monitors, like Subaru blind spot monitors, I can't reset at work. Yeah, which is annoying because we do a lot of Subarus. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, like, a fun fact that's really only fun to us is that we went to high school with Rich. Yeah, it was interesting because yeah. we were sitting there and he walked out and I'd seen the videos, like a bunch of them, and I'd never put two and two together. I knew he was from Massachusetts because I see him driving around Massachusetts a lot in his videos. Yeah. But I never really just because the camera's not always focused on him. Obviously, he holds the camera during most of the most of his videos. Yeah. But he walked out, and I was like, "Oh man, we went to high school with him." And you're like, "No, we didn't." I'm like, yeah, we definitely did. <laughs> yeah, and one of the, you know, one of the videos I actually recognized the shop he was at. It yep. was like next town over. I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." Yeah, he's fairly local. But it was he was between years that we went to high school. Yeah, with, we so. were we were three years apart, and he was a year in between us. Yeah. So and he and like you said, he wasn't into cars much in high school until he got his license so we didn't know him as part of the quote-unquote car guys yeah (laughs) so but it's super cool i'm super interested in evs i'd like to learn more about them uh you know they are coming i'm i'm still on the fence i don't think i'll i think i'll probably never own one personally you probably um, never will have to. There'll still be used gas cars for a very long time i do have a more solid interest in an electric motorcycle yeah, for like because they're a lot cheaper. A local commute. Yeah, they're a lot cheap. They're a lot cheaper, um, and most of them have enough range to go for an enjoyable ride and make it home. So or just to go to work on a nice day. Yeah, if you've got you know a commute that's ten miles or less. Right. That's perfect. Like even more miles than that. So it's funny. I'm I guess, noticing, but I'm just thinking like I'm noticing a lot of electric motorcycles are sold based on hours versus mileage. Hmm. Um, which is kind of a more interesting concept because it's more like a power sports thing. Like you buy a jet ski, you know what I mean? It's sold on hours, right? Yeah. Or a boat, it's sold on hours. Yeah. And they're kind of doing that with these electric motorcycles because they're going to be selling the same drivetrain in a quad or in a dirt bike, which mileage isn't as important or something like that, but hours are. Yeah. So some of these electric motorcycles have a two and a half, three and a half hour battery charge. Which is way more than enough for a nice, pleasurable Sunday morning ride. So they have my interest a little bit more because electric cars right now, to buy one that is good, <laughs> is expensive. And a, a, Teslas aren't even that good. I'm sure these electric motorcycles probably aren't as good as the comparable Honda either. Well, but Honda has now started to make electric stuff. Even Harley Davidson has. And once Honda, yeah, but once people that know how to make motorcycles like Honda and Harley Davidson get into making EV mm-hmm. bikes, mm-hmm. game over for the little people. It's like, going to be the same with cars though. Yeah. Yeah, once Mercedes makes a Tesla, who's going to buy a Tesla? Yeah, exactly. The few Tesla faithful, yeah. Yeah. but 
are the few Tesla faithful enough to keep selling Teslas, I, or is Tesla going to wind up being a component supplier yeah. to the major OEMs? Yeah, like building batteries. Uh, if yeah, you absolutely. Think, if you think Porsche is not already working on an electric sports car, that's going to be amazing. I mean, they're already they're talking about it yeah. already. It's not a like, secret. Like it, it will drive like a Porsche. It's not going to mm-hmm. be bad. So it'll just be different and something to get used to. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't hate the fact that they're coming. I just. I want to be involved with them because I just want to burn dinosaurs, man, <laughs> old man. Off my lawn. I want to make sure that they're good for enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah, we heard that on another podcast. Actually, I forget who was talking about it. Um, it was I forget who the guest was on the, Jay Lamb. Okay, Jay Lamb. Yep, on the DWA podcast mm-hmm. was talking about yeah. how we shouldn't idly sit by as enthusiasts. Right. We should actively get involved with electric cars, so you don't wind up with a Prius and no other choice. And that's part of what this Rich Rebuilds is doing. They are doing some modifying to these Teslas mm-hmm. and as much as you can, and and just. Being involved in them. And like, yeah. Well, actually, to plug him a little bit, he's opening an EV garage, yep. or working on opening an EV garage somewhere here locally, we assume, um, called the Electrified Garage. Yeah. And they're going to be doing maintenance and repairs on Teslas mm-hmm. and all electric vehicles and modifications and hot rodding of these cars. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a, it's a whole new place where we're going that yep. we're going to have to get familiar with. And I was talking about like adding EV motors to like existing vehicles. Mm-hmm. On like the drive shaft, mm-hmm. and apparently that is already a thing for fleet vehicles. Okay, um, there's actually a company in Boston that does. Yeah, because you can eliminate the engine and transmission pretty much, and just. Well, they're like hybrids, um, so they're not quite. No, they do offer some full EVs, but it's interesting because they're doing them on like F250s. So it goes in between the engine and the drive shaft. Yep, it's a motor that goes. They shorten the factory drive shaft. Mm-hmm. It goes after the transfer case, but before the diff. Okay. So it can drive, it gives you a boost off of the line. Okay. So you're not using as much, because that takes most of your fuel to get moving, Accelerating, right? yeah. Accelerating? Accelerating. So yeah, that's where it puts it there, and then under braking, the thing switches to regen, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just, when you're just coasting, it's charging. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting though, and it, it makes sense for fleet, because you've got fleet maintenance trucks that can go out and help you, but... Um, right now with the packaging, they remove the rear spare tire and they put batteries there on an F-250. Okay. Which is fine for well, a fleet. because I mean, for you F-250, can, you can put the spare tire in the bed. I suppose, yeah. but you want to <laughs> use the full bed. And Some of them do have batteries in the bed for like extended range, but the technology is getting better. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of cool because they're talking about it, the truck... Does not change the usability of the truck. Does not change at all. The, it's almost, all of the, almost imperceivable as drive as yeah, driving goes. All of the OEM powertrain stays intact. The four wheel drive stays intact. The ground clearance does not change. The breakover angles, approach angles, don't change. You can still use it as an off road vehicle. Hmm. So it's pretty cool. What's the name of that company? XL. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. That sounds interesting. I haven't actually heard of that. Yeah. Um, and man, if you could add that, like I said, to like the Any blue, car? The blue yeah. Colt, yeah. you'd get like more, the thing would like roast tires off the line, right? Yeah. And then... Still top out at 60. <laughs> yeah, but like <laughs> around town, say you got stop, stuck in stop and go traffic, if you could just run it off the electric motor so yeah. the thing doesn't run hot. Okay, I would be, I'd be okay with that. Right? Because it still maintains the characteristic when you want it to. That's what I mean. If yeah. you, once they get the battery small enough and the packaging small enough... And 
even like I'll use the example of a 57 Chevy, all these old cars don't like to run and idle in traffic. Right. So if you get you're out cruising your old car and you get stuck in traffic, it sucks because mm-hmm. it's like you're worried that it's going to overheat mm-hmm. and like it's just not comfortable to sit in traffic with. And but if you can switch it over and it just runs on this little electric motor and you just, just put, crawl along. Yeah, just crawl along and then the electric power can run the AC system and you can just sit there in air conditioning comfort and you're not overheating your engine. It'd work great. I'm kind of down with this idea. It's funny because if you go back to like our childhood, yeah, we were very big into electric cars because we had electric radio control cars yeah. and electric slot cars and it was just how they worked. And you talk about the technology progressing forward from now till whenever in the future. I mean, when you and I really got out of radio control cars was probably 20 years ago. And in the 20 years, those RC cars have gone from 12 minutes of runtime to an hour and a half of runtime. Yeah. So that's that significant step in 20 years. That's lithium ion, right? Right. But that significant step in 20 years in a toy car could probably be replicated in the next 20 years in the real cars. Yeah. When things had to use, when electric cars were limited to lead acid batteries and RC cars were limited to NICADs, it just wasn't there. But now, you know, lithium ion is really hard to make. And also not really Um, good for the environment to make. I know there is another company in Massachusetts that's working on recycling these batteries because the the value of what's in them Mm -hmm. is worth so much Mm -hmm. that they like grind them up and then pull all the heavy metals back out of them to put them into new batteries. Right. So, you know, at least that technology has been worked on too, but it's there. It's coming. The world she is a changing. Yeah. Um, I don't think I said I'll ever be into a full electric car as my only vehicle. Um, but I, I would a hundred percent do it as a daily. Hmm. I don't know. But all the big of a commute. Totally I, guess dep- I guess it depends on my commute and, and whatnot. I think that if I was in another life where I had like a second house, like on a lake somewhere or something, maybe I'd have an electric, you know, run around town vehicle or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't hundred percent appeal to me yet. Oh, I, I am into that XL idea mm-hmm. where it maintains the characteristics of the gas. Vehicles. And it makes a lot of sense, sense for fleet vehicles. You have so many of them out there. So it does. And it makes, if the whole fleet is that much more efficient then. You know, one of the biggest expenditures for any fleet is fuel. They also so, convert, like, Chevy vans. Yeah, it makes sense. So, like, buses and mm-hmm. cargo vans yep. and delivery vans. And that would also be good, um, I could see, for big cities, for smog and whatnot. Yeah, because a lot of cities are closing off uh, certain vehicles for smog. Right. Boston has not done anything that like that. I haven't seen, I don't think anywhere on the East Coast has really done that yet. No, I don't Actually, think so. I don't, and nowhere really in America has done that yet. If you go to Europe, there's certain... Like London, you can't drive the gas-powered vehicle in London. Yeah, and there's certain times, like when we are in Lisbon, we took that uh, diesel-powered uh, Portuguese Jeep for a tour. It could only be on Saturdays mm-hmm. because it's not allowed during the week because it's, mm. it pollutes too much because it's old and it's diesel-powered. Mm. So stuff like that. So the EU is way ahead of us on stuff like that, but... It is what it is. I hope we don't see that either, but I don't think it's that much of a problem around here um, because... It all blows over to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> the wind blows that way, so... Well, I, I, I think a lot also what we have is, at least in the Boston area, you don't see a lot of older cars on the road every day. No, they don't last. Yeah, they all rust away. So it's not like we're going to have a big savings because you know most modern vehicles are partial zero emissions anyway. Yeah. When they're in city situations, they're just, you know putting around 
So I don't think it's going to be a huge issue here, but time will tell, I guess. I just hope it doesn't actually come to that. What do you got for uh, any project updates? Couple minor ones. Yeah. Um, one's a real big downer, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so we've been talking about that conquest a lot. Yeah. That purple conquest. Um, which you have me now calling purple, even though it's maroon. It's purple man. It's the same color as my shirt here. Durban maroon. Um, I call that purple. It's definitely not purple, but whatever. Okay. Um, it's making that weird noise. Um, we did finally pull it into the garage and like give it a good listen. We haven't taken anything apart yet, but we're pretty convinced it's the top end. It's kind of loud. It's like a very loud rocker noise. Yeah. So I think the plan is maybe this weekend, pop the valve cover off and just see if there's any obvious signs of anything. I mean, I've done the top end of the Raider so many times, we could pull the top end of that car off in probably 30 minutes. It's not very difficult. Probably. So that's one thing to think about. Because um, I want to I either keep moving forward or move it on. You know what I mean? I don't want to waste time with it. Mm. There's so many other projects. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to give up without realizing exactly what right. it needs. So, so there's that. Um, the big downer is back to the the Raider. Oh, the Raider. Yeah. What's that doing? Oh, nothing good. Nothing good. Nothing good? Nothing good. Um, hmm. So when we first put the cylinder head on the car, we had an issue with, like, oil blow-by going yeah. into the exhaust yep. and blew smoke out the tailpipe. Yep. So we did valve seals. Right. And everything seemed hunky-dory. It did. It didn't smoke at all. Nope. Um, all of a sudden, um, what day was yesterday? Yesterday was Tuesday. So Tuesday. So yeah, last night, I went to put the blue Colt away mm-hmm. and take the Raider back home. And when I fired it up in the driveway of my rented garage, it was literally like filled with blue smoke. Something let go. Mm-hmm. I don't know what let go, but something let go. Mm. I made it home. Once I was at speed, it wasn't smoking very bad. Um, and I made it home, and this morning I drove it to work, and everything seemed like kind of okay. There was a little puff of blue smoke when I started it at work. Um, but then when I left at the end of the day to drive the vehicle home, I started it and immediately smoked out the entire parking lot at work. Oh, man. And then I drove out of the parking lot, and there was a big cloud behind me. And I got to the street, and I hit the gas again to pull into traffic, and another big cloud behind me. I made it most of the way home, and I got caught at a red light. Yeah. And when I took off from the red light, another big cloud behind me. So huh. once it's moving, it clears up pretty well. And then once it idles for 15 seconds... It builds up the blue smoke again the second you hit the, hit the throttle. Huh. So I don't know if one of the valve seals let go, if maybe when the vehicle was running lean, I damaged a valve. Yeah. Or maybe there was some other issue that isn't even on the table yet. But I guess that's going to need to come apart again, too, at some point. Hmm. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with that vehicle. Hmm. Got to stop the bleeding somewhere. But I do like the truck. Yeah. 
I, when it works, it's fun. I want to go off-road with it. I want to do things with it. Yeah. I don't want to get rid of it and not have an off-road vehicle and not have the money to buy a different off-road vehicle. Well, I mean, there's non-rusty ones in Arizona. Everything is money. And I yeah. want to go off-roading this summer. I don't want to wait. Like That was the whole plan, to put the whole vehicle back together, was to take it on trips this summer to do things with it. Yep. But obviously, I can't go out in the woods dumping blue smoke everywhere because, A, it will take off everybody going off-roading with us. And B, that's pretty shitty for the environment. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Sounds like you need an electric hybrid conversion. <laughs> Just full, full electric Montero. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I parked that. I'm not driving it. I borrowed a vehicle to come here this evening because that's just what you do. Yep. Uh, I'm actually buying a car this week to be a normal daily driver. Yeah. Like I'm going to be like a normie. Like a regular person, it's still like an enthusiast car. Well, I went for the least normal normal car. I mean, do you want to talk about it? Or do you want to talk about it when you get it? I don't. Know, let's make sure it happens first. All right. I guess before we talk yeah. about it too much, but like I'm pretty sure it's got to be purchased. It's a late model vehicle. We'll we'll, we'll we'll give hints. It's a late model vehicle. It's manual with a manual transmission. It's a long roof, and it's a long roof. Yeah, yeah. That's all you get right now. It's not a WRX. No. <laughs> we don't need any more WRXs. And it's a low mile car, so we shouldn't have to worry about doing anything to it. I don't need any more it. WRXs. Yeah. We shouldn't have to worry about doing any work to it because it's a low mile, one owner, clean car. If we do anything to it, it'll just be fun. <laughs> like wheels and springs and call it a day. Bolted on wheels. <laughs> well, if I put wheels on it, it's going to need a slight lowering just because that's how cars work. We need to look good. But yeah, so. Hopefully by next Wednesday there'll be a new car in the mix. Because I'll need to take my daily driver Raider apart again anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Anything else? I don't think I have much else. Oh, I went to Oh yeah, Durr. Yeah. Um the day after we went to see Rich Rebuilds of the Tesla stuff. Yeah. I jumped on an airplane the next morning after three hours of sleep. Thank you, Andrew, for driving me to the airport. Yeah, I drove you to the airport after, <laughs> after three, three hours, hours of sleep. sleep. Um and I flew to Phoenix. Not true. No, no. I flew to Dallas, rented Man, a... You get the locations always mixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. So I flew to Dallas um, because I wanted to pick up the Sapporo, which was stored in Austin. Where? In Austin. Where was it stored Oh, in the Petrol Lounge. Yes. Yes. Important to mention them. They're very cool people, and yes. I owe them a lot. Yep. Um, a lot of thanks. Yep. Um, but... The ticket to fly to Austin versus Dallas was like $350 more, mm-hmm. so it was significantly cheaper to rent a car in Dallas. And it's only like two hours apart. Yeah, a little closer to three. But regardless, it was it was a lot better. Yes. Is that a drinking game? I said regardless. Okay, fine. Um, it was cheap, lot, significantly cheaper to rent a car in <laughs> Dallas and drive it to Austin to pick up the Sapporo. Um, so we drove the Sapporo from Austin. Mm-hmm. To Phoenix. Yep. Which is about 15 hours. Oh boy. Yeah. We did it in a it's, short uh, period of time. Yeah, because the problem with Austin is that it is basically four hours from everywhere. It's only three hours from Dallas. Yeah. yeah. It's four hours from like <laughs> the border of everywhere mm-hmm. yeah, in Texas. Yeah, straight in the middle of the state. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So we left Austin at the Petrol Lounge. Yeah. Um, well, again, big thanks to those guys. If you're in Austin, check them out. Cool place to hang. Cool place to store your car. Um, went down to check out the Alamo, mm-hmm. so that was neat. I'd never been there before. 
Um, did that whole touristy thing in that area, and then drove until we couldn't drive any further. Did the Sapporo leak on the Alamo? Well, yeah. Fortunately, unfortunately, they don't allow you to park right in front of the Alamo, so no, it did not mark its spot on the Alamo. It may have on the street in front of the Alamo, where I drove the wrong way, <laughs> which I will admit to now, um, because the signage was confusing. Yeah. So, picture, if you will, a no left turn sign. Yeah. But on the same sign... Below the no left turn, it says buses only. Being as it's on the same sign, my brain said, oh, no left turn for buses. I, I agree with you. I, yeah. would have, I would have said it's no left turn for buses. <laughs> so I made a left turn. And then after I made a left turn, I was committed. The, on the street, it was painted buses only. It should have been just a sign pointing to the street that said buses only. Right. That's what it should have been. Or left, or left turn arrow that said buses only. Maybe that, maybe, or maybe we're both idiots. I don't know. Nonetheless, I took a left-hand turn, went down the buses only way in the street. So I definitely drove right in front of the Alamo <laughs> while all kinds of tourists and locals turned and looked at me and were like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, I will also say, though, that after we did correct our mistake and a police officer pointed at me and made the turnaround motion to me, um, I found a good parking garage for the car. We walked back down to the Alamo, and while we were there, a couple of buses drove down there, but a couple other people did too that were not in buses. Okay. So I was not the only one confused by the signage. And you'd be like, ah, mass plates, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a tourist. What do you want from yeah. me? It must happen a bunch of times a day because I, I don't see how it doesn't. No. I don't see how it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I know they don't change the sign. Okay, oh, somebody's not like, what's happening here? Right. <laughs> but anyway, so we check out the Alamo. Um, went to the the Riverwalk area of the of the city. It was really neat. Um, and then drove off into the sunset for towards Phoenix. Uh, obviously, we didn't make Phoenix in one night because we didn't even leave there until you know eight or nine or whatever. So was it New Mexico? Is what New Mexico goes? Texas, Texas New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I knocked another state off my list of places I haven't been. New Mexico. Um, New Mexico is very similar to West Texas and Arizona. It all kind of looks the same. What did the route take you through? Um, Albuquerque? No, it was way south of Albuquerque. So, um, you don't actually go through the entire width of New Mexico because where Texas kind of juts out underneath uh, part of New Mexico. All right. Yeah. So you're only in New Mexico for, I think it was like what highway is that? Hours. Is that like the eight? No, 10. The 10. The 10. We were literally on the 10 from pretty much Austin all the way to Phoenix. Oh. It was like GPS, turn in 1,333 miles oh. or whatever it was. Yeah, and the 10 would take you all the way to LA. Yeah, it would keep going all the way to LA, yep. Huh. So, But successfully, the Sapporo has now been driven from my house in Salem, Massachusetts, 3,300 miles across country to Phoenix. So, I mean, that was a major event worth celebrating, I think. So, it was success. We made it there. The car is now with former guest of the show, Ron, uh, at RonLP on Instagram, um, in his garage, where he made a spot for me, uh, which I don't deserve, but I will take. So, thank you, Ron, uh, amongst his collection of audit oddities as well, with his Starion, his wife's first-gen CRX, mm-hmm. second-gen CRX. Second Gen ZRX, um, and his first Gen MR2, so gets very happy there. Um, 
Once I made it to Arizona, my trip there to drop the car happened to coincide with the kickoff rally for the Copper State 1000. Yeah. Which is a, a high-end vintage car rally through northern Arizona, starting in Phoenix. It started at um, Tempe Diablo Stadium. Tempe Diablo? Tempe Diablo Stadium. Like a double-A yep. team or something? Uh, I did a double-A team, yep. It's actually where the Angels do their spring, spring training. training. Yep. Oh, so spring training must be over now. Spring training ended Sunday when I was there. But there weren't any games at the stadium, obviously. Because parked on the field were the 80-something participants of the 2019 Copper State Challenge. Copper State Classic? Copper State? Yeah, Copper State. <laughs> Copper State Classic. What? So is this the touring rally? The touring rally, yep. Along the same lines of the Snowball Rally or like DWA's Coastal Range Rally, that kind of thing. Just a spirited drive through the mountains. No winners, no losers, no hmm. no competition, just hmm. out having Millions fun. of dollars. Millions of dollars. 300 SLs, um, E-Type Jags, um, lots of 911s, Bentleys, like 30s Bentleys. A 38 BMW convertible, like, real cool stuff. A full-on Mark One RS2000 right-hand drive, full-caged, BDA, Escort Cosworth. Hmm. Um, real AC Cobras, multiples. Um, there was a, interestingly enough, there was a 1955, oops, a 1955... It was some random name you told was me. Was it an Oscar? Oscar. Yeah, yeah, 1955 Oscar race car um, that had mass plates on it, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I took a picture of it, sent it to my father, who runs the Misslewood Concord Elegance. I was like, hey, check out this 55 Oscar with mass plates on it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, cool. There's one of those coming to Misslewood this year. I was like, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sent me a picture of the car coming there, and he's like, That's, that could be the same car, because it's the same color. A lot of them are red, but yep. there aren't that many of them. No. Um, I was like, T- find their name, please. <laughs> so he found the name of the driver, of the owner of the car, who was bringing it to his show, and it was the same car. So the car, this week, was driven, you know, a couple thousand miles in the Copper State Classic, and mm. it will be shipped across country for July to be in the Misslewood Concord Elegance in Beverly. Cool. Yeah, that was really neat. So, yeah, a lot of cool cars there. I think my personal favorite, there was a Lancia Fulvia HF. Oh, I like those. That was really cool. One of Speaking the few front-wheel alum- drive cars that I love. All aluminum cars. I thought the HF was all aluminum. Maybe. I don't know the enough. The regular Fulvia I know there's a not- significant weight difference, so maybe that's why. Yeah, the regular Fulvia is not. We looked this up a while ago because there was an HF that showed up to the Misslewood Concourse. Yeah, Lines. there was. And we're like, what's the difference? And the HF is an all-aluminum body. Yeah, check it, check it. Check okay, it. I'm checking it right now. Yeah, well, um, yeah. So that does, that sounds pretty cool. And what? Um, I think it was pretty much it. I haven't done anything to the cars. I tried to fix the uh, tack in the Montero. Okay. I, I like took it apart and looked at it, and like checked all the grounds in the body, and they were fine. And like I checked the, I also checked the ground for like the fuel tank. Because that thing's been acting weird, but I really think it's just the, I think the little drive motor in the tachometer just just died. And so you just, just need to replace yeah. the actual gauge itself. Yeah, like I'll have to go to a junkyard and maybe maybe a sport 
tachometer motor would be the same. I don't know. But definitely steel cars. Really? Yep. I thought they were aluminum bodied. Darn. Well, whatever. Regardless. Anyways. Enough of the regardless <laughs> thing anyways. Um, anything else? Okay, so the early HFs, yep. Series 1 cars, yep. bodywork was lightened by removing the bumpers using an aluminum bonnet, doors, and boot lid. So the shell of the car was still steel, okay. but all the bolt-on peripherals were aluminum. Okay, we're close. Yep, so that's what the difference was. Oh, and um, actually speaking of, you mentioned Ron earlier, he had a special question for us. He did have a question for us. Um, let me pull out the question block here. Which you can always ask us questions anytime during the week, and if we have time, we will ask them. Yeah. Um, here is his question. Mm-hmm. It was actually interesting. It was brought up by other discussions we've had on the podcast. Yep. Just for the sake of discussion, I've heard you mention it several times that you'd be okay with Mitsu rebadging Nissan products for the sake of keeping cars in market. But since most Nissan cars suck and seem like they may continue that trend, how would you feel about using the other part of this alliance as a badge-engineered conduit to get new or no hardware back in the U.S.? Yeah, I don't think Mitsubishi needs any more SUVs from Nissan. No. Because they have plenty of their own SUVs. The stuff I've seen from them during my Europe, European trips is pretty nice, and the HP cars like the Megane RS and even the Clio RS would be an easy way to fill the gap left over by the Fiesta Focus ST RS, etc. Or is a French car with a Japanese badge just fundamentally wrong for the universe? At least Renault doesn't make CVTs. Yeah. That's a very good point. Well, I would love to drive a Megane RS. Um, it would be super cool. Probably call it a Colt. Colt RS. Okay. Um, I that, bet, would, that would be neat, actually. I bet they don't I'd have the, with that. I bet Ford has the licensing for RS in the United States. Something stupid like that. Okay. They probably own it. But they used to be... A Colt RS. Actually, there's a she- you can get a Chevy Camaro RS. Chevy's RS. Too, so nobody yeah. probably owns yeah. the RS. Um, yeah, that would be really cool. Um, I don't know enough about these little French cars. I drove a Renault Clio. I rented one in Portugal. It I was like the Clio. super fun. Yeah. Um, it was inexpensive, but still nice inside. Like, uh, I guess I describe it as like inexpensive, but then the interior was like. I don't know, maybe cheap Volkswagen inside, like. Okay. I don't know. It it was it was pretty standard economy car for right now, with like gray, decent gray plastics and piano black. So replace the Mirage with the Clio and call it the Mirage still. Be a better car. Yeah. Be a much better car. I mean, that bar is not very high. It would be. <laughs> it drove actually the one I had probably drove like a modern Mirage. Well. A modern version. Modern of, version of our, our old Mirage. Yeah. Which, for those uninitiated, um, one point eight liter, one hundred twenty horsepower. This thing probably had one hundred seventy. It's a little bit bigger of a yep, car. But it had but drum brakes in the rear. The era of Mirage we're talking about is mid nineties, and they were more equivalent at the time to a contemporary at the time Civic. So, like the ninety five Mirage was more like a ninety five Civic. It yeah. wasn't like the new Mirage, which is more like a. I don't even know what to compare it to. <laughs> it's a car. Yeah, it's a, it's got four wheels and a it's steering wheel. Slightly better it's a than golf cart with doors. It's slightly better than a three wheeled vehicle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't hate them. I would drive one if they were cheaper. But yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I. 
There's worse. I don't know. The problem well, is currently on the market. It's better than a Nissan Versa. It barely, barely, but it is better. But it is. But the problem with the Mirage, I don't want to get too off on this, but the um, for the money you'd spend on a new one, you can buy a nice used car, like a very nice used yeah, car. Yeah, that goes against any market. It goes into any market. Yeah, you know, it's not. But for the money you could buy X new car for, you could buy a nice used car of anything. But like, so. like a really much nicer used car. You could buy a brand new Honda Accord, or for the same money, you could buy a couple year old Jaguar. You know, what I mean, that's that's what's the comparison here? But I mean, like, uh, like, okay, like a like non luxury vehicle, you could buy a much nicer. Okay, we'll put it this way: the Mirage costs base model four thousand dollars more than I'm paying for the mystery car I mentioned earlier. Yeah, which is a much nicer car. Uh, significantly nicer car. Yeah, and not that it's only the car is only four years old, five years old, five yeah, years old. Yeah, that's that's the that's the real problem with it. Yeah, and they're like, there's such a penalty box car. Yep. If you don't have, I know Andy Lilienthal's got one, but but he has one that he has modified to yeah. suit him. Yeah. So it's probably a more and en- I, more engaging vehicle to drive. I don't I'm have... not discrediting owners of these cars. I considered purchasing one myself as a beater. <sighs> I I seriously did. Because I couldn't drive one for the, like when I was commuting fifty miles a day, I couldn't. I used to or do hundred miles a day. I couldn't do. It. I did a hundred miles a day couldn't in a nineteen eighty Dodge Colt. Yeah, well, you're weird. So I could definitely do a hundred miles it. a day in a two thousand eighteen Mirage. Um, the cool thing about the Mirage is there is aftermarket support. They rally the crap out of them in Europe and the Philippines yeah. and all over the place. Um, so there's suspension parts, interior parts, hot rod parts for those cars. So you could make them inexpensively into a much better car. So, which is the only reason I'd buy one would be the hot rod one, make a little yeah, it's toy tough to out of it. It is tough to justify, which is why I didn't buy one and I bought the car that I bought. So, but I do think that. Uh, so it's we, an interesting concept. We were talking about this question, and it came up. I was like, I think I saw a Renault badged Outlander, but that was wrong. It was actually it was a Citroen. I saw or Peugeot. A, I saw a Peugeot badged Outlander. Yep. When I was in Portugal, and it was a Peugeot four thousand seven. Correct. And it is ugly AF. So like so ugly. If you want to picture what this car looks like without looking it up, take a Subaru Tribeca. Yeah. And then squash it like left to right, like make it narrower. Make it fit onto a and second gen Outlander make platform. It narrower and taller, and give it the same smiling lower grill of a last gen Miata. And then it was a Citroen C-Crosser. Yep, same vehicle. Oh. Which is much better looking than the so there's two Peugeot 4007. French-badged Japanese cars, yep. which is super weird. It is super weird. And, and if you go on later into his question... Oh, I, did, I already put that part about the fundamentally wrong thing about yeah. it. But he does say about the um, McGane RS280. Because yeah. he's taking a trip to the Nürburgring, and he booked one of those to run on the ring. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was saying, ones, he's yeah. like, this car already exists globally. It's an unfortunate shape that people insist cars now be, but the RS version is also fast. Yeah. And you can get the manual or dual clutch. Why not recontour the faces and call it the croissant galant? <laughs> <laughs> Which I liked. I, I mean, the galant is, yeah, it's not, oh, that's not really a French word, but. Galant, galant. Yeah. I guess it's here. It's kind of French. Galant. Galant. Galante. Well, I think that the surname Galant is French, isn't it? 
I don't know. I think it's E at the <laughs> end usually. Talking about things we don't know about. Yeah. Good way to get ourselves yelled at. Yeah. If your last name is Gallant and you're not French, I apologize in advance. Carry all the crusty bread in your uh, Gallant. Um, well, anyway, I think that about does it. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Facebook, Out Off Topic Podcast, on Instagram, Out Off Topic. Follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. Uh, again, we haven't done this in a while, but if you really like the podcast, please go like and subscribe on iTunes. We're also putting these videos up on YouTube, so if you go subscribe to our channel, that helps us out. Um, and uh, Brad, Galant, Galant is a surname. Yep. From a family of Jewish scholars in the Middle Ages. Oh, okay. That is not French. Nope. Definitely not. Brad, where can they find you? Um, I am on Instagram at tsiss three five zero. If you haven't gone to our Facebook page, or if you missed the post, go to our Facebook page and look for uh, Steve Booten's uh, meme that he made for Brad. Yes, it's that pretty, was pretty funny. funny. It's actually it's on the Instagram page too, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Go check it out. Give it a like. Uh, keep cars analog, or don't. Don't force people to do what they want to do. Andrew, no, do it. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs>